We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everyone? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. We are here on your Friday, January 12th. It is a bit of a tricky episode that didn't get released uh, this morning, largely my fault. Some stuff came up, but we're going to give you the game preview I think you deserve and go through rosters, talk about how we think they get this game won, etc. It's a huge, uh, you know, build up now. It's 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 been a really... Um, you know, just like the buildup of the week is finally hitting its crescendo, Andrew, I think is the way I would say it. you can start to really feel the excitement um, around this game. There's some some really gnarly weather games that are going to be happening between Buffalo and Kansas City. And it is kind of nice for the Browns to be in uh, an indoor environment and not have anything messing with this game. I'm excited about that. The quality of the game should be good. And I'm looking forward to the challenge for them. And uh, the Browns released a really cool Jim Donovan voiced uh, pump up video there. We obviously we've talked all week about our guy Clay's uh, video. It is it is right here in front of us. The playoffs are 24 hours away essentially, and I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty you know pretty jazzed about that. Andrew, how you feeling, man? Very excited, Jake. I'm right there with you. The Jim Donovan video was great. I loved his perspective on it. He I think one of the things that Cleveland fans are so lucky about is to have announcers that have such great perspective on what they do, not just not just that they're talented, but that they really understand sports role uh, as a positive thing for the city of Cleveland and the surrounding communities and how much it means. And Tom Hamilton and Jim Donovan really reflect that back, which I so deeply appreciate. I would throw Austin Carr in there too. I think it just, it feels great to be understood by the people that represent your city in that way. And I, man, I thought that that Donovan piece was great. A, a, A different look at what the season means, what football means, but it's all super exciting. And it is absolutely culminating in this feeling of deep anticipation for a playoff game that is, you know, we're right around 24 hours away. It's going to be an absolute uh, scene tomorrow, I think in Houston, but I think even so more so in Cleveland and in our homes and wherever you're watching the game. So I, I couldn't be more excited and, as the excitement has built, then the confidence has built too. That's the other thing is I feel much more confident. You know, we just published our predictions for the game. 
I've got the Browns winning by 10 points. I don't feel particularly shy about that. I think the the thing that I think is is interesting, Jake, and, and I, I'm interested to hear what you say say about this. Uh, the the Browns defense by like every statistical measure is one of the best of the past 20 years, kind of the NFL modern era. If you go back to when they changed the passing rules after Peyton Manning kind of revolutionized the league, right. And got them to basically legalize uh, or make, make pass interference much more strict, I guess is the way to say it. Um, They have one of the best defenses of the past 20 years and it gets underrated on a weekly basis. People forget week to week. We have weekly amnesia with this team. And now it's even worse because they they played the backups against the Bengals. The Bengals scored some points, yada, yada. But you go back to what they did against the Jets, and teams just can't move the ball. It's been true all season. And every week, I think analysts, even some fans, kind of go back to thinking, well, maybe this is the week where the, the, the coach turns into a pumpkin at midnight or whatever. The shoe falls off and the dream evaporates. That's not going to happen, man. This is Jim Schwartz, a veteran defensive coordinator, this is an incredibly talented defense that knows what they are playing for. And this is the playoffs where that sort of defense, every time they get a stop, the pressure on the Texans offense just goes up one more notch and one more notch. And all of a sudden it's the third quarter, it's the fourth quarter, and they're down a touchdown. They're down 10 points and they're looking at the sideline. They're looking at the scoreboard. They're looking at the clock and the defense is in their face. It just gets harder and harder and harder as the game goes on. I'm so excited to watch this defense play in the playoffs because I think this is the culmination of the season, not some unveiling of, oh, they were frauds the whole way or anything like that. Well said. I, I think I've noticed the public shifting a little bit, at least those who are on the national scale picking the game. Uh, I'm not surprised by that. You can really fall in love with C.J. Stroud, the idea of him um, in these moments leading up to a game, especially when you try to pick apart the faults of the Browns. I get it. Uh, I'm not surprised by it. I hope the Browns are seeing it because I felt like the week started off with some of that, at least on the McAfee show where they had CJ on and talking about nobody believes that the, you guys can beat the Browns. And that has shifted here by the end of the week. I've just noticed some of that creeping in. And I, I you know, personally, just me, I, I love that, right? We have confidence. Doesn't mean we think there's a world where the Browns can't lose, right? But we have confidence in a way I don't think the 2020 brought, even though the Browns went into Pittsburgh and shocked the world. I don't think that there are many people picking the Browns before that game. It's kind of my point. There's a level of confidence with this group that is different and uh, you guys should be excited about. I think we are um, trying to put that uh, excitement into this podcast and I just can't wait to see how they perform. Again, it's like they had a bye week and that bye week kind of takes away the momentum of the excitement because that week 17 Thursday night game was, again, just such a release of emotion and then you get to this bye week, and then you got another week to wait. But it's finally here. Long story short, it's the second season, and they seem ready to go. Wait, there's a little bit of a downer piece of news that came out yesterday that Denzel Ward had done something to his knee, the scale of which we don't know. He's listed as questionable. Since that time of last night, like right after practice, 5 o'clock area, we start to figure out this is less serious than maybe we had thought originally. Um, when when you, you you see a guy's put on the injury, but was never listed as out. It's not like he had this serious knee injury at practice that gives you an out label like he's not playing right away. Uh, he was labeled as questionable. And from everything we gather, both publicly, I believe, uh, Ian Rappaport had posted this out that Ward was going to be okay. Denzel posted something on his own today. It feels like he maybe just tweaked it, right? Turned the wrong way. Cleek got caught. Something of that nature. But it feels like he's trending toward playing. And Andrew, 
they have to have him play. Like their versatility, what makes them special in defense this year is the defensive back versatility, both in uh, personnel variations as well as the ability to disguise. And with Denzel, that unlocks to a new level. So uh, having him, there's no Grant Delpit. We know Grant's not going to play. And I, didn't, I don't think many of us thought he was going to be able to go, but uh, more of a next week thing for Grant. But having Denzel is wildly important uh, in this game in every way, shape, and form. So uh, getting him to game time and getting him out on the field will be huge for them. Yeah, you hope that uh, he's able to kind of go through the walkthrough today and and feel the confidence growing in his leg and then gets out and warms up tomorrow and everything feels right and he can go. I it, it, I it, I agree with you that the signs are good, but you just because it's so recent, you don't know you're in that initial window of how the body reacts to an injury. It's it was like 48 hours before they play that he suffered it. So you you just don't you don't know how the body's going to react day to day. So very obviously nervous about that. Interested to see how he responds tomorrow in the pregame as he warms up and gets loose. You know that the team is smart enough to be conservative, even in a scenario where it's a playoff game. They're still going to err on the side of caution. That's just who they are. So if he can't, if he's not right, he's not going to play. And it is a concern. Obviously, I, you still like the Browns' talent in the secondary overall, but Ward is their best player in the secondary and their second best player on defense in my mind. So you, you need him. You need him for a, a playoff game. Yeah. Um, other injuries we hear, like I said, Grand Delpit is out. You have uh, Mike Ford labeled as questionable with a calf. You have Dustin Hopkins labeled out. You have uh, Pierre Strong questionable uh, with his back issue. And we also saw that John Kelly was elevated. I know you were elated. Like what sort of, did you do a flip? Did you do a somersault cartwheel when you saw that John Kelly was uh, activated? I know you've been pushing for that, Andrew. Give, give me your immediate, uh, <laughs> what movement did you get there? I uh, immediately went through all of my bookmarked tweets that are all things that I, you know, <laughs> said about John Kelly and just started taking victory lap after victory lap. No, I mean, I'm disappointed from the standpoint that it, that seems to indicate that pa- possibly Pierre Strong won't be able to contribute, which is a concern yeah. because he's a very talented special teams player. Um, I, you know, the way that I wanted this to go, and it might still happen, right? It might still happen that Strong's okay and they want the extra running back because they're only going to use Strong on specials because of the injury. And that scenario is one I'm into. I didn't, I was never in favor of replacing Strong as much as I was in favor of finding room for another running back by cutting, cutting down on the roster somewhere else. So um, I am excited to see a running back who has, we remember from the preseason, a very downhill running style. That is not something that Ford or Kareem Hunt really specialize in now. And Strong obviously really struggles with, I think, the durability piece and also the ball security piece, which are big issues. So I don't think John Kelly is going to be very involved in this game if he's active. But I do think having somebody that can square to the line of scrimmage and get downhill is something that they have been sorely lacking through the most of the season. And that is... From preseason, from what we know about the player, that is what he is able to do. And I, I, it sounds crazy to say this, but I think there's a role for him on this roster. I really do. Yeah, he could very well find his way onto the field in this one or if they win into the next one. So we will we'll keep our eye on that, particularly um, Juan Thornhill questionable in this one. We'll see. Haven't heard anything definitive there. Probably another game-time decision. Cedric Tillman listed as out. And then, um, as we mentioned, Denzel Ward. Uh, questionable people who are questionable on the Houston side, Will Anderson, 
officially questionable. He had a limited practice there on Thursday. Andrew Beck, I think it's Andrew Beck is his uh, first name. He had a calf with questionable label. Uh, their fullback, Noah Brown and Malik Collins, both important players for them. Missed some practice, but we're limited. I expect both of those guys to go. Um, another important piece is Jonathan Gennard, who is listed as questionable. He did get, just like Will Anderson, a limited practice in on Thursday. Jerry Hughes, though, an important veteran to their depth present, is listed as out for this one. Sheldon Rankin's questionable, and Robert Woods with a hip, also questionable. So at the minimum, their defensive line is beat up. You got Ang- Anderson dealing with an ankle. Uh, same thing for Gennard, and then obviously Sheldon Rankin's on a shoulder. So they're, they're, they're up front, not full go. They're playing but perhaps limited versions of the best, you know, possible version of themselves. So that's encouraging a little bit, Andrew, I think, to have those guys a little bit beat up. But this is a different Texans team. CJ obviously changes a lot. I mean, the most of anything we didn't see the first time. And then Will Anderson and Grenard are, are going to present actual pass rush threats off the edge um and and force the Browns to do some things that they maybe didn't feel so inclined to do the first matchup where they got a little free and easy with the tackles that they have as I shown in the write-up yesterday have been inclined to help as much as they possibly can you know yeah it definitely does change things I will continue to I I think those the health of those players I think is still a question mark even if they're able to go it's we understand it's playoff football so if you can move you're you're going to try and play but what they're able to do. We saw Will Anderson kind of toughing it out last week and he was on the bench a lot down the stretch because he just couldn't go. So uh, how they're able to affect the game, I think is still an open question, but you're right to say that the team is very different in comp- in composition than it was a few weeks ago. And that matters. The The Browns are not going to have an easy game on uh, Saturday for sure. I, I Despite having confidence, I, I it's not that I don't think the Texans belong to be in the playoffs. I, I very much do. And I think that they are a team obviously headed very much in the right direction. So the getting their pass rushers back, their defense being able to play closer to its potential is is part of what you worry about. I think for my money, Jake, the more intriguing matchup is on that side of the ball. I think Schwartz will obviously have some answers for Bobby Slowick and the Texans offense. I think the Browns defense will hold its own. I think what D'Amico Ryans is able to do to Kevin Stefanski and the Browns offense is the biggest question because not just from the pressure standpoint, but also from the, we know that they weren't able to run the ball in the first matchup. If that continues, are the Texans able to really put Flacco in some uncomfortable throwing positions? Because we know he has not felt pressure well in terms of he wants to move. He wants to avoid it. He does not want to take sacks. So he'd rather throw the ball in, in, into a dangerous area than take a sack. And in those sorts of scenarios, turnovers can come in bunches. Yeah, it's going to be probably the most. I mean, I know we're talking about CJ is obviously a very important dealing with pressure player, but that performance of that offensive line on the Brown side and how they help them and how they perform based on what they like to do is uh, going to swing the outcome of this one too. both sides. Right. So don't think we're telling you anything rocket science here. <laughs> pressure for quarterbacks and how they handle pressure is usually going to define the outcome of games, but uh, it's it's certainly noteworthy. I like to think that the best thing we can do as we prepare for this game is look at the differences between what we saw three weeks ago versus what we're seeing now, and those guys playing are going to be a really big uh, part of how Houston tries to handle and not allow the Browns 
to put up 36 points the way they did the last time, right? So um, huge for the Browns to have a punter and a kicker, but also in the first game, it did allow them to get a little aggressive uh, in a good way at times, I think, Andrew. Um, uh, sometimes detrimental, especially like right before half where you could get three points, those important moments. But uh, I think that um, there was some some stressing about the first game without a kicker. And I'm like, well, they got aggressive and made some real plays uh, in that one. But in the, in a playoff atmosphere where everything's a little tighter, having a kicker that can put a couple uh, points on the board will obviously be a bit more paramount than a week 16 game uh, in, in that regard. So uh, it's good to see that the Browns will be better there. Uh, obviously good to see uh, Denzel's training in the right direction because I know it got a lot of rightfully so Houston people excited about the potential that he wouldn't be involved in the game because he's that important. So. Um, Paying attention tomorrow morning uh, and then into the afternoon when we get official declarations of those things will be uh, pretty important to keep an eye on. All right, so we're going to take a break, come back from break. We're going to look through the rosters and just kind of pick apart the position groups that we think favor one direction or the other. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view 
which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, so I'm not sure the best way to go about this um, with, with every position. I like to do like position versus other position, Andrew, like Browns O-line versus Texans D-line with quarterback though it's probably just quarterback quarterback I mean I don't really know what other way there is to go about that Mm -hmm. I think that we would probably in the grand scheme say CJ Stroud is where it favors but in a rookie environment I understand that he played a playoff game like that last week and a game like this is different and how well Flacco has played at the end of the year in his experience in these games he would have the most wild card victories if he wins this of all quarterbacks who have ever played. He's been there. He's done this. At the minimum, it's an even tilt, Andrew. Obviously, CJ is more talented uh, overall, but I mean, there's a lot of elements here that are beyond just like line them up and throw and hit targets, right? So I think it like at the minimum, it's even. I honestly think it's a toss up. That's how yeah. I feel about it. I think because I, your point's well taken that you're just comparing the quarterbacks, but I do think it is worth saying. You're comparing C.J. Stroud playing against a Browns defense and Joe Flacco playing against a Texans defense that he just got really effectively a few weeks ago. So that does come into it for me. The road home element is also part of this. It is a very different question for C.J. Stroud to go on the road. If they were in Cleveland, this is a totally different story. Not even ignoring the weather piece, just the, the need to keep your composure in that sort of a situation is much harder even for a, a player that we know has played a lot of big college games, as you said, played well in Indianapolis last week. Yeah, but Indianapolis is not Cleveland. I think that 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 is very apparent. That is one of the softer home advantages in the league. So I think Flacco mitigates being on the road a little bit because he has done it so often and he has that experience. But it is still a factor here. So I favor Flacco against the Texans defense a little bit to Stroud against the Browns defense. But then I think the road home thing kind of evens it out, and I think it makes it a true toss-up. Good stuff. I like that answer. All right, let's go to wide receivers versus corners on both sides. So we'll go with the Browns offense, Texans defense. So let's um, – actually, we'll go Browns offense def- versus Texans defense in general here. So um, Amari Cooper, you have Elijah Moore, you have David Bell, Marquise Goodwin. We'll throw tight ends in here as well because I think that's fair. Um, David Njoku is a huge part of things. Harrison Bryant against the Texans secondary, which is driven by the following players. All right. So it's Steven Nelson, Desmond King playing corner. Uh, It looks like you're going to see DeAndre uh, Houston Carson playing for them uh, in the free safety role. I think that's where he stepped in when uh, they lost Jimmy Ward, Mm -hmm. Jalen Petrie, Derek Stingley. 
Yeah. The Browns attacked Stingley really well the first time. I know Steven Nelson has had a pretty good year. I still think to me it favors the Browns. It tilts that direction. It was a huge favor uh, situation in the first matchup. Now, largely driven by Amari, but also David was uncoverable in that game as well. So, like, I have to think that tilts in the Browns' favor. Yeah, there's two things here that you like from a Browns' perspective. One, the linebackers can't cover Najoku. So they're going to have to either use Desmond King or a safety on him, something like that. And speaking of the safeties, the second thing that you like is Jalen Petrie has been benched recently. Uh, their best safety, Jimmy Ward, is on injured reserve. You never root for injuries, but that's just the truth of the matter. DeAndre Houston Carson is a practice squad player from the Ravens. The other player worth mentioning here is Kareem Jackson, player that was with the Broncos for most of the season, uh, got released. The Broncos wanted him back. He ended up being like, man, I think I'd rather go back to Houston where I spent most of my career. He's back. He is a player that was suspended for the Denver-Cleveland game because of excessive headhunting. Yes. I think there's a chance that matters in this game, Jake, from two perspectives. One, he could get his he could get thrown out because they're on the lookout for anything unsportsmanlike from him. Two, yeah. he could hurt a Browns player. We just saw Cedric Tillman get concussed last week in a I think a, a pretty ugly case of of cleaning up the, the pile uh by a Bengals player. That that is a consideration here because he's a violent player and he does this routinely. So it's something I'm watching for in this game. He's going to play. I, I think how they parse out the snaps between this practice squad guy from the Ravens, a guy that they had on the bench, and then the two veterans, Kareem Jackson and Adrian Amos, I think is very interesting. That will be one of the ways what they throw at the Browns with that personnel. The veteran guys obviously can do, I think you would imagine, a lot more in terms of disguise yeah, and that sort of thing. So I, I, I don't know what's going to – but I think – Part of the reason they were able to have so much success with Cooper last time is that the safeties couldn't help, weren't able to get there, and Jimmy Ward left with an injury. So their plan for how to defend the Browns, especially with their safeties, is one of the things I will be watching from the beginning of this game. Yeah, I was trying to see. It looks like um, on the first Amari Cooper touchdown, he beats D'Angelo Ross up the left sideline for the 75-yard one. He came in for Steven Nelson. So just wanted to drop that nugget in there against coverage stuff how those touchdowns came to be the first long throw was against steven nelson trying to be bracketed by jimmy ward so there you go i think that tilts brown's favor if you talk running back it's probably doing the same thing as quarterback because you're facing so many things here Uh, i don't i don't feel very optimistic about running the football very well so i would tilt toward I don't even know where this one tilts. This is kind of a weird one. I mean, do I I don't think either running back is going to matter between Ford and the crew and Devin Singletary and uh, Daria Gumbawale and like Damian Pierce is apparently after a really strong rookie season just faded completely into special teams oblivion. I think both of those position groups are a wash. If one's to do better than the other though and have some sort of impact Andrew, I probably would favor the Texans. Agreed. To have an impact. Agreed. And I think the thing I would add is just that the the Singletary and Agunbowale are both really good receivers yes. of the ball. And I think there could be a little bit of a wrinkle there from the Texans in terms of whether it's screen game or just using the backs as receivers. The Browns have at times struggled, as we all know, to kind of rally and tackle that player out of the backfield. So that I think they'll probably want to test them in that way. Yeah, agreed. Okay, next question or next group to question is, 
Uh, Browns offensive line, Texans defensive line. Browns, again, we know who plays for them. Texans defensive line, who will be in there on this one. Will Anderson, Sheldon Rankins, Malik Collins, Jonathan Grenard, and then obviously Jerry Hughes is out, but they'll they'll still play some of the others. We saw like MyJ Sanders a lot. Tier Tart will probably have a bigger role in this one. Derek Barnett. Derek is Barnett's their, their still depth because he got waived late in the season. They, yeah, I, they I, used their waiver wire priority. <laughs> they sure did. They sure did. I would say this tilts in the Texans' favor, but the Browns were able to mitigate it, which they've done a great job by using some stuff again I wrote about. If you want to read it, you can find it at the OBR, the way they're mitigating pass rush. Now, I would say it's a scarier group than this previous game. So Will and Grenard playing. I know Jonathan played the early portion of the game, but left early as well. I don't I don't know. I think he left in the first quarter, if I recall. That's right. Might have left on the first series, actually. Um, yeah, I think this is a fair thing to say that they have more talent in that department and it should it should tilt their direction. But that doesn't mean the Browns can't handle it. Yeah, they've got talent. They've got depth. So, yeah, you're. You're. I think this is one that you're concerned about, especially at the edge because of the tackle situation for the Browns. What the Browns have to avoid is the catastrophic letting somebody free that has has occasionally bit them this year. Watson mm-hmm. got bit by it. I think Flacco got bit by it once early, where a guy gets a free rush and the ball comes out. That sort of catastrophic bust. If they're sound in their protection schemes. I'm okay with the fact that they'll be able to move guys around and and try and mitigate the different mismatches, chipping and all that sort of stuff. The what scares you is when you get a free runner. So that's the part that I am honed in on here to make sure that the offensive line is dialed in. Yeah, likewise, likewise. It's it tilts there. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a massive uh, advantage there. So um, okay, tight end. I think we we can probably link to the linebackers a little bit here. I mean. I don't think they'll I don't have a bunch of confidence that their their linebacker group it will have Blake Cashman in this one, which is a guy who plays a little bit more for them. He did not play the first time around, but I mean Christian Harris is up and down, young player, up and down. Denzel Perriman is they're fine. I just think David has a matchup advantage. Let's just put it that way. I think there's a, a matchup advantage to be had there, and especially against the safety group when you look at those guys as well. Would you agree with that or not? No, I would for sure. I, I would for sure. And I think that finding David, finding ways to get him the ball is going to be a key here. I think even early, some of the routes that he runs, it's it's kind of easy for the quarterback to, especially yeah. one as tall as Flacco, to just find him over the middle, dump it off, let him work. Uh, the only thing I'll say, ball security, ball security, ball security. Do not yeah, you can't do, do the whole jumping over th- guys thing. Just hold on to the ball and go down. That's fine. We're good with that. Yeah, right on. Okay, next one is uh, to close out. Actually, I think that does close out everything uh, on the on the Browns offense versus Texans defense side. Let's switch and talk about Texans offense. So their wide receiver group, which is Nico Collins, Noah Brown. It looks like Robert Woods is going to give it a go. He did not the last time. Um, John Mechie will be active. Xavier Hutchinson against the Browns secondary which is kind of up in the air, but we'll presume is going to play, is going to play. So we'll say Ward, Hickman, Emerson, Greg Newsome, uh, Juan Thornhill, or DeAnthony Bell, Cam Mitchell. I think the Browns have an advantage here. I think that's pretty clear. They're the collectively better group. 
the only player that worries you, though, is Nico Collins and how they kind of work out covering him. He did play the first time, but they were so quick to pressure Keenum, it didn't matter all too much. He was not a factor in the first game, but as we all know, CJ has found him quite extensively. So I think that that will be somebody he's looking to. But I think that tilts in the Browns' favor. Agreed? I agree. No, I absolutely do. I think the biggest question on this this matchup, Jake, for me is how did the referees call this? Because you know you're going to have to be physical with Nico Collins. There's no mm-hmm. doubt whether it's Emerson, Ward, Newsom, whoever's covering him, they're going to have to be physical. He's a big dude. So that physicality a lot of times is just considered let him play. We saw – I'm struggling now on the game, but I think it was, was it the bears where Emerson had like three penalties in a short period of time? Maybe it was the jets. I'm, I'm struggling now to remember the game. I don't think it was Houston. Maybe it was. No, I don't, I don't. It was down the stretch. Maybe the Jaguars. It was, was it Houston? I don't know. You're Um, right. I I remember the game too, but I don't remember which one off the top of my head. I can look this up. We're in front of it. It was definitely in December. I know that. It was. It was relatively recently because we're like, this is kind of the roughest game that he has had in a minute. Yeah. And and it was, it allowed, it might, it really might have been the Texans because it allowed them to kind of march down the field basically entirely powered by penalties. And that's the, that's the thing to watch here, I think, is if the if the referees want to be involved, want to p- call a very tight game on the outside, then that gives Collins opportunities because if uh, you're Houston. not allowed yeah. – it was, was it Houston? Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. So that is that is my biggest question is how they, how they call that because it could change. It really could change how they're able to defend a big physical wide receiver. Yeah, that was his worst game grade of the season too, by the way. Worst coverage, Mark, is uh, the penalties obviously drive some of that, but – that's uh that's peculiar. Something to think about. I have to go back and look at how much he matched up with Nico to see if there's anything there. I didn't think about that direction. Good call out. Uh, okay, so tilts to the Browns. Nico's the one you're most concerned about. Uh, Texans. Let's talk about their offensive line. I don't. I mean, again, this is where the stuff that the auxiliary stuff that we feel uh, quite clearly tilts in the Browns' favor. I mean, they they have Laramie Tunzel and Shaq Mason who are playing good ball, but Michael Dieter's the center. Juice Scruggs is the left guard, uh, converted center to left guard, um, and then right tackles Charlie Heck. I mean, the Texans have two very good football players in Laramie Tunzel and Shaq Mason, but I think the collective group of the Browns' defensive line here is better and should really put forth an effort that that just, uh, disrupts the game, put it that way. They have to be really good in this, Andrew, if the Browns ultimately win, right? Yes, this is where the Browns need to dominate to accentuate their advantages elsewhere in the matchup and it's not just miles garrett as you said it's the whole it's the whole crew right it's if garrett's going to get beyond tunsil at times and get shut down then zadarius has to show up like he did on christmas eve okoronkwo wasn't able to play in that game i know he's excited to play in this one i expect him to have a big game some of the interior disruption can be huge it's it's the shortest path to the quarterback so interior pressure often makes quarterbacks the most uncomfortable i would love to see a big game out of Dalvin Tomlinson, Shelby Harris, for example, players that you sign for this exact reason, veteran defensive tackles can affect the game in that way. So yeah, I, I want, you know, I want constant pressure from everybody on the on the defensive line. The one thing I'll just say about the Texans from a depth chart perspective, they don't have offensive line depth. It's no. just not a thing that they have. These are not and I, a little bit of this is I'm I don't know these names for for good reason, but the, you know, Nick. Nick Broker from uh, off waivers from the Bills. Dieter Isolin is a, a street free agent. Um, so 
if there was to be, I, I mean, I'm, I'm skipping over George Fant and Josh Jones who are more established as tackles, but if they had an injury in, on the interior, the guy that's coming in is not yeah, a player. So, and even those other three are French. They're, they they haven't exactly. been they so, haven't so been very good. Find a way up the middle because Tunsil is great. So find a way to get middle pressure, and then on the right side, whether it's Heck or Fant playing, find a way to get pressure against them as well. So the last group to kind of take a glance at is how the linebackers match up with the running back tight end stuff. So, I mean, we can include safeties into this, but the the question is, how do you feel about JOK Taki Taki? And I don't know who's the third linebacker they're going to play the field. Tony Fields probably. probably. Fields. Well, listen, Fields gets a touchdown a game when he goes to Houston, so you got to play. I've heard about this. I've heard about this. I'd like to see that back in action, if that's the case. But again, the, you're covering Dalton Schultz and uh, Devin Singletary, and then as, you, as we mentioned, uh, Aguma Wale is in that mix as well. Um, didn't have any issue the first time in a game that I thought those guys would be pretty heavily involved. Um, because of the obvious quarterback limitations and wanting to get the football out early. Um, but I think that that's probably a split. I mean, I think Dalton Schultz is a nice receiver. We, we've we been over the divisive nature of that player on this podcast because of fantasy football elements. Um, willing to trade him back to you this offseason. We'll talk about that later. Well, yeah, we should take that off here. <laughs> um, but, I mean, Taki Taki seems fine. He's he's just a, he's a competent uh, Mike Backer, and then I do like that they've shifted JOK to handling all of the snaps essentially now. So, I mean, that's probably a wash, but I guess I could see why Texans fans would feel like that tilts the direction of Houston. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't you think that it's likely more going to be Thornhill or Harmon playing on Schultz, and then the linebackers are more responsible for the running back? More than likely, yeah. yeah. I think I think that yeah. probably leans there. So it's probably so, going to be either, you know, Thornhill, yeah, or Harmon. P. Anthony Bell, Harmon yeah, to Bell, be involved in Bell. that. Um, yeah. And I weirdly feel very confident in this safety room. We've talked about them so much down the stretch because of how much they've changed. With Hickman coming on, Bell has played pretty well, I think, in his opportunities as well. And then Harmon mm-hmm. is a, the veteran glue piece now. You expect Thornhill to be back. What team going into the postseason has four playable safeties? We just talked about where the Texans are with their thing, where they've got one guy that they benched that now they might have to play and all the moving pieces they've got. The Browns have confidence in their guys, and I think that matters so much. As far as JOK, the last time we saw him, he was kind of skating around the field against the Jets a little bit, and it was maybe one of his less impressive performances of the season. Uh, he, He, As far as I know, wasn't really involved against the Bengals which is great. Get him a week of rest. I want to see a big game from JOK because I think whether he's coming forward, blitzing the quarterback, adding pressure, or whether he's playing zone coverage over the middle, manning up with a, a running back coming out, any of those things, he has a chance to be impactful. And this is the game. This is the time where these guys that are ascending can really stamp their name that they've hit that next level where he's a true difference-making linebacker. And I think he has the opportunity to do that on Saturday, make one or two really big plays, maybe create a turnover and make it clear that he's one of the guys that belongs in that upper echelon discussion. He didn't end up getting really any buzz from all pro teams, anything like that. Didn't see him anywhere. He can 
start to change perception in these playoff games as as a way to launching his himself into that conversation for next year. Agreed. Yeah, it's a big stage for him. Um, and I don't think, and Andrew, maybe you can step in and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. And I really don't like to do this because of sometimes you say it, it comes to fruition. But I don't think they've been hurt badly by a tight end this year. This is the first year in a long time. Yeah that they have not been bad against opposing tight ends. Mark Andrews had a nice game when they came to Cleveland. I think he had a touchdown and a couple long catches. But other than that, I, again, I'm, I mean, I think there was a pretty miraculous Justin Fields play where he scrambled right side to left side and threw a touchdown to Colkman in the, in the back left corner of the end zone. They did lose Robert Tanyan on that uh, sort of weirdly, it was a broken play. Taki Taki covered him. He kind of turned and wheeled out of field. But yeah, I feel like they've been pretty good collectively against uh, against tight ends this year. So I I don't feel um, you know threatened by Dalton Schultz in this game, who's not a burner. He is certainly a possession based uh, tight end, but is is uh, of note much better with CJ than the first for sure. Song. For sure, yeah, I think he's a good tight end and he can do what they want him to do. But I think the Browns definitely have the the skill talent to to neutralize him. You you hope that they're able to kind of keep put clamps on Collins, but then also hold the line against the secondary receiving options at the same time. Let's do special teams before we get out the door here. Apparently, special teams. There's a report put out today by I don't know what was his name. We Rick had Goslin from the Dallas Morning News. There it is. Um, had a listing of special teams rankings according to his metrics. I think. I think they're yeah, he his does metrics. his own research talks to people around the league from what i understand he's done this every year for a very long time and just try tries to kind of get the temperature of special teams because it's so hard to quantify statistically so the respect is that the texans have the best special teams unit in the nfl for two straight years now not the same um tight end or sorry special teams coordinator for two straight years but keeping that running is obviously a big part of their success and we saw that firsthand by giving up a kickoff return for a touchdown week 16. I believe that was Damian Pierce that returned that one. It so um, Frank Ross, their special teams coordinator, did work under Ventrone. We've talked about this. I just had a total blackout moment. I forgot Frank Ross played at John Carroll. He was a John oh, Carroll wide receiver. It's a John Carroll angle. 2007 to 2010, directly when I was playing in Muskingum. So we ran into him. I don't have any recollection. He had a nice career. But uh, I don't remember him all too much because uh, he's playing well, wide receiver. And Jake, I'm on the other side. Let's not give him any motivation here. Jeez. Oh, he'll be fine. He'll I be fine. We did actually do pretty well against John Carroll back quote, before they. I don't off. remember oh, him. Quote Jake Burns. Wow. Oh, Yikes! You know, it's going to go up on the wall. They've got. I was studying their defense. Out. Okay, looking oh, at their man. defense, not their if, offense. Listen, if there's then. another punt return or kick return tomorrow, you know who to blame, folks. Well, there you go. I just am saying I don't totally remember the name. And I the, saw somebody talk about it to John Carroll. I looked up some information and I was like, OK, he was there the exact same time period I was playing uh, in the OAC as well. That's interesting. So I actually don't think their special teams is that great on paper. But, you know, I guess I guess the metrics are telling different. Cameron Johnson's not a great punter. Um, we've We've seen that happen. I mean, he was. He was rough in Philly. They replaced him. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, th that's their punter. I mean, Kaimi Fairbairn is really a strong kicker, but he missed one last week, a very mm -hmm. important kick. Yeah. Missed one. And I would have to think that the Browns are going to clean up the kick. I mean, they weren't even kicking deep. I mean, they 
They, they are probably going to try to kick the football as far into the end zone as possible in this one. I cannot imagine they're scrapping over the potential for a couple yards here or there uh, in this one the way they were the last one, right? I mean, I would hope not. Yeah, our, Even our though colleague you, you, Pete Smith had a great article about this today. The, Riley Patterson just doesn't quite have the boot that uh, D- Dustin Hopkins does and, and might not be able to kick it out of the end zone routinely. So that's one of the questions is whether or not they can actually just kick for touchbacks. He kicked a couple pretty well in, in uh, against mm-hmm. the Jets, but that's outdoors, wind-aided, uh, potentially. So yeah. something I, to keep an eye on. I, I read the Football Outsiders, now FTN Fantasy, uh, preview of this game, and they like the Texans' special teams better than the Browns, too. So I, I do think it is an area where the Browns have a, a slight disadvantage. And in playoff games, that does matter. Same website that said Davis Mills started? That was the same article that said that Davis Mills started that game, yeah. So... Mm. Um, you know, you, you, you win some, you lose some classic 50, <laughs> 50. Yeah. This is something that's so easy to mistake, I guess. So yeah, it's um, hard to keep track of who starts these games. Yeah. Not like anybody's, nobody's, tracks doing it that. nobody's tracking that rare. Uh, okay. Let's just, let's just do this. Um, we've gone through position by position and we we've talked a lot this week about it. How do they win? What has to happen? You, you, you try to avoid the cliches, but you can't. So you know, you're probably going to sit here, folks, and say, well, okay, Jake, okay, Andrew, those are pretty stupid things. We all know that. But there are games where you can turn it over and overcome it, right? So it's just like, what things do you think, let me put it this way, if the Browns don't win, why don't they win? What goes wrong in your eyes? The first thing that jumps into my mind is the their, their – they give up a few early penalties because they're not allowing them to, to really get their hands on Collins. And that combined with a lack of front upfront pressure allows Stroud and Collins time to really become a, a fearsome duo. And they score maybe a, a, an early touchdown or two. And the game script is not in the Browns favor, which allows then the Texans pass rush to tee off a little bit on Flacco, make him uncomfortable and the Browns are just kind of chasing the entire game. That is the scenario I feel is most likely in a, in a loss because I, I think it just puts so much pressure on the passing game to be kind of perfect. And I do think there, as I said before, I think there will be some wrinkles that Ryans has ready in the second matchup that could catch Flacco and the offense a little bit by surprise, especially in the scenario where they're down and able to really tee off with the pass rush. So, yeah, you're talking about almost a Bears scenario where – they're down on the scoreboard into the late portion. They can't create big plays to come back. Right. The, the, that, yeah, they're, they're on the road. So by the fourth quarter, now the, the home team has just got all the momentum and the crowd is getting into it and they're not able to make that one play that brings them back into the game. And they just, they can't score, you know, they end up trying to score late and, and the drives just don't come together. I, I don't think that's what's going to happen to be clear, but that to me is the, recipe. that's what we're exploring. What's yeah. the recipe? To me, there's only one thing because I do. I do think even if they give up some scores, they have shown an ability to lock down defensively. Even like Indy, to an extent, they gave up some late, but they held them in the middle. And like some of these others, like Seattle, Jacksonville was a little bit. Eh, Jacksonville is more neutral. Chicago is the other one. I think that even if they fall behind ten nothing, something like that early. I'm not so much worried about the defense not letting it get wild. I don't, I mean, again, the Colts game is an isolated outcome, right? Um, And you guys know I love Shane Steichen, so, you know, there we go. But 
my point is that I think defensively, even if they fall behind early, they've continually shown that, you know, even if it's like the Broncos, whatever, that they can clamp down for a large portion of the middle of the game. I think the only thing, Andrew, they can't overcome is bad Joe Flacco. Like that, I, I really, I really do. If Joe, the running game's so bad, and it's hard to look at this game and be like, you know what, guys, this is the one. This is the one that's going to happen. So I can't tell you that. But what if they can't overcome is bad Joe Flacco, right? Um, if he can't get anything going, if he's missing throws and he's turning it over, to me, that's the death sentence. I think that they can get through some things where they, if it's a shootout, I even think that they could be a shootout and be similar to to Indy, right? I think they could handle it. If the offense is clicking, they can they can find ways. But if Joe's bad and 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 he's confused and he's just missing and stuff, that to me, Andrew, is the most plausible way they lose this game. Agreed. That's where I'm at. Agreed. Yeah, because in the scenario where I said they they are trailing, if you know Flacco obviously has the ability to get them back in the game in that scenario, so it, the only way that it wouldn't is if he's missing those throws, maybe some turnovers, etc. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the path, and I think. The, the thing to me that I'm most concerned about is do the Texans do something really unexpected for the Browns in their secondary and just show Flacco something very different from what he's expecting to see to yeah. where he's double clutching a lot and throwing late. And we know how that would probably play out. I don't think necessarily that there's something they, and I, I would be concerned if I were a Texans fan and they got real crazy because we talk about their limitations at safety. I obviously think outside of, there's their top two corners. There's a lot of question marks there too. I just think that if they were to do that, that would be like, wow, kind of, it's interesting that they're doing that playing a bunch of man or something. I think they're going to largely be who they are, but if they did, I would hope Flacco could overcome that. Cause you know, it's like Joe Woods getting crazy adventurous in coverage. Like you can only do so much. I would hope he could overcome that, but yeah, um, Texans pass rush is proves to be too overwhelming. And they cannot create, you know, maybe some of the stuff that I wrote about is becoming predictable and they're finding ways to mitigate some of the guard movement and shotgun play action stuff, right? That That's the only place it, that it could happen. Because again, like, I don't want to sit here and say you can't turn it over. No, they, they've proven they can turn it over and find ways, right? Um, you don't want to say you can't give up a special team score. Again, they've proven they can find a way. I really think they have to have good, like, average to to good to you know it doesn't have to maybe be the the flacco we saw there the first time but an average to good performance i think will put him in a really good position and i would again love cj stroud not not uh in in any way taking away from i would be pretty surprised if he put together some great game andrew i would be pretty surprised and, and obviously disappointed but pretty surprised if he really drove a bunch of points against this defense. I just, I just, again, it's not, it's not impossible. It's not, and it wouldn't be jaw dropping unexpected, but I would be like, man, I really didn't think they'd let him get going like that. And, and uh, not to say he can't, because we've seen it given him due respect. He deserves appropriate fear, but I would just be disappointed if that were to happen. Right. So talking about the case for the victory, right. Uh, on that side, I think that's you. You really laid it out. I I don't have much concern. Ultimately, there there will be plays. There will may even be multiple drives where Stroud does what Stroud does. But over the course of a game, I don't have a lot of concern about the offense versus the Texans' offense versus Browns' defense matchup. 
as I said at the beginning of the show, the Browns defense has earned more respect than they've been given, I think is the way I want to say it. They should be really, really feared. And I think partially because of the uniforms, honestly, Jake, they're not getting it. And I think if this was any other team, think about, give all of these stats to the Cowboys defense. Give all of these stats to the, back when the Giants were playing really well. Or, or, or give, give all these stats to the, the 49ers defense. Say the 49ers just had the, the season of their dreams. If we're talking about the 49ers playing the way that this Browns defense has played this year, people are picking, and part of that is obviously the 49ers offense, but it's, part of it is name recognition here. I really believe that. I really believe that. I think the easiest way to, to get there, Jake, is contrast how people are talking about Baltimore right now and how people are talking about the Browns. I know that the Ravens' offense is better, but the Browns and the Ravens have similar defenses. They get there different ways, but results-wise, the Browns' defense is a, a, a one tier better than the Ravens' defense, but they're both in the same neighborhood. And you don't hear anybody talking about C.J. Stroud, a rookie quarterback, having to go up after against one of the best defenses of the past 20 years. Nobody's ta- taking that angle. And it seems pretty obvious to me that that's the most important part of this game. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you've seen just total, no one's saying anything about the, the single team that beat both the one seeds. None of that stuff ever comes up. On the strength so. of their defense. I mean, I know that there was a Watson comeback in that second game, but the second game with the Ravens, the story of that game was how the defense put the clamps on them in the second half. Yeah, to 100%. It actually gave away some points on the tipped interception, stuff like that. Yeah, we've been through it. They're expected to win from my side, your side. They're the better overall roster team, and they have a, I think they just have a more cohesive group. They should get this done. Now, it's road playoff wildcard games. It's hard to predict it and feel like put like solid money on it or something, but they are in a good position here against a team that they are built to handle. Yeah, I think so. the, the best indicator is when that line came out, I was three points off. I thought it was Texans minus one at home, and it's Browns minus two and a half. So three and a half points off. That is in in terms of guessing games, and I'm not. It's not like I'm some savant, but you have a pretty good feel for where your team's going to be against other teams. That line tells you what Vegas thinks about this matchup. To be an almost three point road favorite in the NFL and a playoff game is really really meaningful. They are the only road favorite this weekend, other than the Eagles going to Tampa Bay. Yeah. So think. I mean, the Eagles are maybe not the best team to make a comparison to right now, but <laughs> but I just I I think yeah I think that I understand why there's not confidence, but I I the more I've looked at this, I really just feel like this is going to be a real revelation for the Browns defense. Go get it done, Browns. Everything you want right in front of you, man. To to get into a divisional round where anything can happen more than any other year. You get this one. Two games away, Andrew. Can't wait. Huge opportunity for this organization. And I feel like they're pretty ready for it. So uh, that's everything covered for you. Hopefully you've enjoyed the week of podcasts. Sorry for the tardiness of this one. But uh, everything here to get you ready for this game. I appreciate Andrew for stopping by doing this with me on a crazy schedule. And then obviously I appreciate you guys coming by, hanging out, listening to this podcast the way you do. So uh, listen, we'll check back in with you with an immediate reaction following the game. I hope you enjoy it. Hope it's a blast. We'll be ready to talk about it both on this podcast and the OBR Twitch. So swing by, hang out with us and talk about it. 
uh, which is hopefully a fantastic outcome for your Cleveland Browns. So until we talk again, thanks for being here. Be well. Go Browns.